Hello, welcome to episode eight of Mixtape Memories. Memories. Uh, so this is our emo episode. Yes, <laughs> we know you've been waiting for this one. <laughs> I feel like we couldn't really leave it out because, you know, it was kind of such a big thing in the early 2000s. And um, when we were either thinking about starting blogs or started hours or started to go regularly to see shows, this was a big movement, yeah. you know? And I feel like a lot of it kind of still lives on today in a more watered down commercial kind of way. When did you like what were your memories of first listening to to the whole emo thing for yeah. me? Uh, uh, once again, it goes back to college. But uh, I would say around 2000, 2001, maybe until 2002, I was I was into it and um, I would see shows uh, as usual in D.C. at 930 Club and Black Hat, which were the two venues back then before they expanded. But, yeah, I would go see um, Dashboard Confessional and Saves the Day and The Anniversary and uh, Ben Queller. Um, oh, goodness. Uh, Take Back Sunday. <laughs> Was Ben Queller considered emo? I didn't know that. You know, he, I don't, I don't know if he necessarily would fall into that, but I do feel like he toured with a lot of emo acts, so I kind of put him in the same kind of bubble. But he's a little outside of it, probably. Like, what? Did, what's the differentiation between like singer songwriter versus <laughs> emo? It's one of those things. I feel like for so long, people have been trying to exactly put the definition on emo, mm -hmm. and it has changed through the years. I feel. But for me, my definition of it from the early 2000s was just kind of this music that was coming out that was very honest and raw and not overproduced um, mm. and evoked something in you that uh, was very sincere. Yeah. Um, like I remember in the early days when I would go see Dashboard uh, and everybody would be singing along to the point, probably still happens now, I haven't seen him in 15, 20 years, whatever it's been. Uh, everyone is singing along like at the fullest volume and they're really releasing something. Mm. And I, I think for me, that's what that stuff was. And I think for me, it might've been timely because I was in college and figuring stuff out. And I don't know, Bush was just elected, you know? So like, yeah. there's a lot to be, I don't know, uh, either angry or uh, emotive about. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you definitely, like get that feeling from the, it's like it is kind of that more kind of sensitive kind of vulnerable mm -hmm. essence to all these songs from the lyrics to like dashboard i just realized was <laughs> like that first album was like just him and his guitar mm -hmm. or I the don't first know, couple the first, first couple. couple yeah that's that's very unusual i think mm -hmm. unless you're kind of just saying you're a singer songwriter yeah I think, I think at the time i was confused whether he was like just a singer songwriter or like a band mm -hmm. there weren't that many artists that were going by like a band name but they were mostly just them. yeah i do i mean i haven't like i said i haven't seen him in a long time but i think back in the day he would do half the set with just him and an acoustic guitar and half the set with a full band i want to say these days it's probably a little more band oriented but mm. i don't know right yeah Who are your favorites of the ones in college? From like, that time period, one band I loved and was fortunate enough to see at CBGB's just before it closed oh. was Thursday, okay. <laughs> which was more on the, which was another subgenre in emo, Screamo. Oh. Yeah. Um, 
and they actually just reunited and everyone is uh and doing like reunion tours and <laughs> and touring that for that the first couple albums that that did so so well um but i was super into them i actually saw them on a festival that the cure put together on randall's island many many years ago that called curiosa yeah <laughs> That had a good bill. That was Mogwai, The Cure, Melissa off the mare from Hole, Thursday. Oh God, who else was on that bill? It was a strong bill. Wait, The Cure curated yes. that? It was a one-off, one-year-only thing. Yeah. See, okay. Yeah, well, I don't know that much about Thursday, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like, I've definitely, I feel like I've listened to him and, like, not into that. But mm-hmm. um, surprises me that, like, like, a Robert Smith or... So whoever would pick that to be like at their festival is that part, weird part of me says yes and part of me says no only because i feel like maybe what brings the two together would be just the uh laying all the emotions on the table with their lyrics even though it's so wildly different from each other mm. um oh inter actually interpol was on that bill also <laughs> <laughs> Going back to our previous episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could see the cure like being cool with Interpol. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's got that dark, cool yeah. vibe. Yeah. It's kind of um, that mystery yeah, <laughs> that yeah. the cure has. Um, but yeah, no, it's kind of interesting to like hear that, mm-hmm. though. That's cool. I was um, into that. But I think one of the bands I was really into, which it's kind of funny, I feel like you know, we were doing a little research before this episode and there were so few women fronted uh, acts that were in the emo genre. And one of my favorites uh, and actually one of the very, very few that I'll ever revisit from this bulk of this time period is Rainer Maria. Yeah. Who we saw together a few months ago at Elsewhere. That's right. Um, And I hadn't seen them in 15 years. So it was actually, speaking of emo, it was an emotional thing for me uh because i was so drawn to their first couple releases um i saw them all the time at the black cat in dc Mm. and um i don't know why i think in general i've i've always been drawn to uh to women vocalists but i think the combination of of uh i don't know the the lyrical the lyrics and also just uh everything else i i was a huge rainer maria fan and um i can't think of any other I, I really can't think of any other female fronted acts from that time that really stood out. I don't know. It's a weird thing. It was very like broy in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was reading some articles and a lot of people call it like a very like boys club. Yeah. Kind of uh, genre. But yeah, I mean, why? So why is it just that it's more remarkable when a man is vulnerable and sensitive and is like, I, wa- I wonder. Like, you know, like, you know, even Rainer Maria, like, you listen to them, they don't, like, really sound like your stereotypical kind of emo band. But is it because it's from a girl's perspective or a woman's perspective? Yeah, perhaps. For me, just, you know, looking back, like, the you know, the memory that I have is that it's just a very kind of almost whiny kind of <laughs> genre. Well, oh yeah, there was plenty that was whiny. But when I listen to Raina Maria, like, I don't feel like it's whiny, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, somehow they, or maybe they're just classified as emo because there aren't enough women. So they're just like, well, they were around the same time. <laughs> I, I think also a lot of stuff fell into that umbrella because it was the convenient umbrella at the time, um, including some acts that 
wound up getting some mainstream success that I think actually were the least interesting bands of the time, such as Jimmy World and uh, a few years later, Paramore and, mm-hmm. um, oh goodness, who else? That whole warp Tour kind of environment. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Most of those bands were just ridiculous to me. Yeah, like for me, it's like Warp Tour was almost like became synonymous. It wasn't always like in the beginning, I don't think, but like eventually became synonymous with this like awful emo. Like yeah. That kind of worn out of like they were probably like people who grew up listening to this and then somehow they took it and like they turned it into this like. I don't know, like way more awful version of it. Yeah. That became like wildly popular. Yeah. It's kind of interesting um, when you go backwards in time, because I feel like for me, the unofficial start of emo was um, bands like Fugazi and the Discord label and all that kind of stuff that was punk in punk inspired, maybe. Um, and then it kind of led its way into emo and then kind of became like mall punk and warp tour and mall punk that's a good way to put it yeah <laughs> and just like super stuff that's super uninteresting and painful honestly i think paramore is so big that i saw someone on instagram who i unfollowed by the way uh went to like a paramore cruise they had like their own boat that they like you could oh my buy God. yeah could you imagine <laughs> no. trapped oh my god you're trapped <laughs> Oh, no, I mean, like, just imagining the audience for that, like, I just couldn't imagine at all. Like, I think in general, I don't want to be trapped on a cruise. No. Even if it's a band I would love, the thought of not being able to escape. I used to go on a lot of cruises with my family when I was Mm. a teenager, and I haven't gone with them in a long time. But my parents love going. They go all the time now, multiple times a year. That's their thing. They don't fly anywhere. They love going on a cruise. I just don't like that feeling of like, uh... Yeah, well, there's not much to do, right? Except no. the entertainment that they provide. So if yeah. you're not into any of that, then you're, you know, SOL. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Like, but um, there are other bands I feel like that have done that too. I want to say Weezer was part of something like that too. I think they did have a cruise. Yeah, it was like a Weezer cruise. There was a cruise phase. Yeah, that a was a thing. You know, um, I, I never went on like a cruise, but I would go on those like boat shows. You oh know, you know, yeah, like, um, rocks off. That's <laughs> Rocks off, yeah. They would go around the city. You'd see two or three bands. You'd have some drinks. And it was actually great because the views were great. You get to see your favorite band. You get to talk to them afterwards. And you don't feel super trapped because it's only about a three-hour excursion. Yeah. (laughs) And it's kind of cool because it's New York. And you get to, like, basically just uh, float around the city. Yeah. um, And see it from, like, a different, you know, more, you know, romanticized perspective. So that was fun. um, But, yeah, I would often feel kind of seasick. And those boats were not very big. No. <laughs> so like if it was like for instance like a sold out show or something, uh-huh. you know. And I remember like there are tons of booze cruises. They call oh, yeah. booze cruises. So it'd be like you buy into like some kind of and and then just be drinking unlimited amounts of booze. That would never seem like a very smart idea, but a very kind of fun idea. But like I don't think it's a good combo with the with a shaky boat yes. because you're just it makes you feel really ill. Yeah, yeah, like if you don't have like some kind of sea legs or like some kind of, you know, not anti-nausea pill or yeah. something. My mom always wears the, the stuff that goes on your wrist that supposedly, I don't know, helps keep you at a certain level so you don't feel oh. the, the waves and everything. Okay. But She's I don't know. She's a pro cruiser. She's a pro. Yeah. <laughs> She's a super pro. 
Um, But that's not my bag. So anyway, going back to, you know, bands being on cruises, I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's a pricey venture. I mean, even if it's just a long weekend, there's no way you're going to be able to go for under a few hundred dollars plus, uh, in a lot of cases, the airfare of getting there. So if your favorite band is doing something, you know, from Key West, Florida to somewhere in the Caribbean and then back, you're going to have to pay for the airfare there plus that. And then entertain yourself for the other 70 hours that the band is not playing. Yeah. And, and- do shuffleboard or overeat <laughs> or whatever. You know, <laughs> I don't think so. No, no. not really my bag. No. So there's no artist. Are you saying there's no artist you would go on a cruise for? Oh, God. I'd really have to think. You know, there's this there's one artist I love who... I mean, she's not really a musician, but someone I love, a burlesque performer, Dita Von Teese, I love. Oh, yeah. And she was part of a, a cruise recently, and I thought about going for a minute, but it was like all EDM acts, and uh. then she was doing a couple, like one night of burlesque. So I was thinking to myself, for one or two hours of her doing shows, it's not worth it all It seems all. like a strange combination, EDM she's and very, Dita. She's very into the, like, she kind of got her start in the early 90s rave scene, so she's very into, like, um, early Chemical Brothers and Basement Jacks and, like, uh, I had no uh, idea because Orbital think, and all that didn't stuff. Didn't she, like, date Marilyn Manson? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. like, I always think, just assume maybe she was more, like, goth. Or... She actually was more, um, like, like, ecstasy culture early 90s yeah 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 (laughs) which is kind of funny that's crazy yeah and she was at the time the last thing i'll say about her is that she was like the only one who was like bringing back that old like betty page kind of thing and dark hair because at the time the early 90s la thing was like the blonde haired blue-eyed Baywatch pamela anderson type thing Mm. and she was like i'm actually going in this direction right um I mean, that's cool. Yeah. And then she kind of made a career out of it. And then, of course, when she married Marilyn Manson, it kind of uh, raised her profile significantly. But yeah, I adore her. But even so, I wouldn't go on a cruise for her. (laughs) (laughs) So I would if I wouldn't go on a cruise for Dita, I'm definitely not going on one for Paramore (laughs) (laughs) or Weezer. Yeah, no, no, definitely not Weezer. (laughs) No, no. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would say, yeah, emo's not my genre, but Mm -hmm. what I do remember from, like, 90s mixtapes, I actually liked Sunny Day Real Estate. Yeah. And there was just something about, maybe it's because they were, like, a little bit fuzzier Mm -hmm. in their sound and a little bit warmer, and um, there's something, just something about the way the music and the vocals sounded on their songs that I was, like, into, probably, like, you know, leading off my shoegaze kind of love. Mm-hmm. And they didn't seem as like, um, like sometimes I think emo songs can sound like kind of a, a little bit annoying. So mm-hmm. like they, they didn't annoy me. I actually enjoyed them on the mixtapes mm-hmm. and, and I, I wouldn't have even known that they were like called emo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just looking over like this list of, you know, bands we've kind of accumulated, you know, qualified as emo, <laughs> supposedly um, at the drive in. I did. I, did I like really like song. I really like the, the I, maybe it's the only at the drive in album, but the breakthrough one at the very least. In yeah, like, they broke up after that. Yeah, I, think. I actually really like that album. But that also is a very angry kind of album. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as um, it's more aggressive than your emo. So, yeah. What would that be? 
be. I don't know because I wouldn't say that they were screamo. I don't know what I would call them. They're in between. Them they're kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Hemo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, uh, yeah, no, like obviously they grew very popular with their song uh, One Arm Scissor. Of course. Yeah. Um, gee, I even like remember seeing them on like one of those late shows. It might have been like Conan or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. Uh, and being like, this is insane that they're on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were born out of. When th- is it? Wasn't it like members of Mars Volta or something like that? Mars Volta came after. Oh, Mars Volta yeah. came after. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't into that. No, I wasn't into that either. It seemed like such that was a more like proggy. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was. But at the drive-in, I dug. Um, I never saw them back in the day, which I regret. Uh, I know I talked about Death Cab at a certain point earlier this season, but uh, I was really into their first couple albums, and they were put out through Barsook Records which I feel like was putting out some of the more softer emo mm. stuff. Um, That's true. Yeah. Barsook, I almost yeah. forgot about them. Yeah. They had a couple bands I was into. Um, they were always into that kind of sensitive indie sound. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like that's something different, though, like the sensitive indie Yeah, that's versus true. Versus like emo. That probably was its own subgenre that I don't know. Yeah. 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 I also really liked the Promise Ring back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, they have a song called "Make Me a Mixtape," which I feel like, <laughs> if we had the rights, we should play now. But you yeah. know, um, and then who else? The Anniversary I was really into. They were kind of a little mm. more spastic and strange, um, but they had a moment where they were actually like one of the leading "quote unquote" you know emo acts of the time in yeah. like one oh two, like respected. Yeah, you know, yeah. not like kind of cartoonish, but yeah. like actual respect there Um, they were cool but yeah i mean i remember this is probably around the time when i would go see something just because you know chris from dashboard confessional was a fan of the band so i wanted to check them out Mm. because it was like the emo band du jour you know you know we played this earlier i won't play it on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) but i did interview him back in it must have been like around when his album came out yeah i I was working at this like teen website what was the name of that album the places places you've come to fear the most yes uh that just came out and i think he was touring it you could just tell like he was like super not into doing the interview and i had to ask some like ridiculous questions because i was like working for a teen website (laughs) you never ask you never ask real questions yeah Uh, nobody wants to know that um and uh you know at the time at least maybe it's different now I just felt like he took himself really seriously. Mm-hmm. I definitely sound like I'm not that into his <laughs> record. <laughs> Although I just keep asking him question after question. <laughs> you were very prepared. I was I was very prepared, but he was like not into. But I feel like if he were if he were um told in advance the nature of the interview, yeah. then he wouldn't be so thrown off by questions about What's your sign? Or tell me about your tattoos. Explain those. Like, Do you have a those, girlfriend? Yeah. yeah those yeah. are the kind of questions that are going to be in a teen publication. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, they should have prepared him a little bit more. Back then, you know, you probably just said yes to everything. Yeah, I guess so. You know, he probably just did a whole round like, all day. He didn't know. Like, I probably wouldn't know what that website was back then if mm-hmm. I didn't work there. You know? Right. He was an interesting one because I feel like he was the heartthrob slash poster boy of the whole yes. movement. Yeah. Um, and that also maybe had its own level of, yeah. I don't know, weirdness. I mean, you kind of have to have 
good looks yeah. in order to kind of be successful in that genre because it's like you're you know most of your fans are going to be women <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know and like so your following is going to be like women counting on women liking you for that although um i guess today you could be ed sheeran <laughs> oh goodness <laughs> I have and many still thoughts be on very Ed Sheeran. Popular, but maybe not the best looking guy. No, right? no. So, but, you know, back then, I just feel like, you know, people were more superficial. I mean, mm-hmm. it was um, the days of Britney and Justin. That's you know? true. So it was, it was like boy band central and like, but even not even like boy band. People were like good looking. Yeah. Um, well, if if you really think about that time around 2000, 2001, 2002, it was obviously all the pop that you just mentioned that was so wildly huge yeah. for the first time in a bit. Um, and then it was kind of the tail end of that whole terrible new metal thing. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, with Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park and all the rest of them. Yeah. Um, I remember interviewing like Hoobastank. Oh, Actually, my God. I still have that tape. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, just like there was a lot of terrible music right around so the millennium. Much awful. Yeah, so much. Awful. And then this was going on, and then I feel like a few years later, indie culture and kind of a response to this in some way maybe um, kind of took off. But there was a lot of stuff that, I mean, it but just back wasn't then it good. Wasn't being covered, and that's why yeah, I yeah. Think, like blogs started, and that's why like sites like Pitchfork started mm-hmm. and tried to have a little bit of balance and be more and it was like about people being in tune more with like the local mm-hmm. music culture than like the national music culture yes. where, where once you go national it kind of is like dumbs down to the common denominator kind of music where mm-hmm. it's like you know the quality is like kind of sacrificed for like more um poppiness and like the ability to reach masses versus just a niche who are the people that are covering the small bands still these days yeah oh i mean i feel like i might have mentioned this earlier in earlier episode but yeah it's a small pool especially for for acts that are um you know not already established or already affiliated with a bigger label or you know, have an in somewhere. It's 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 depressing actually because uh, just the entire landscape was so different. You know, I feel like every few years it changes dramatically. But if you look at the landscape in oh four, oh nine, fourteen, five, ten, fifteen years ago, every every chunk of time it's dwindled in terms of of terms of outlets that cover that stuff. You know? I think like Brooklyn Vegan, yeah, kind of still has balanced yeah. coverage, yeah. Um, Probably due to Bill Paris. <laughs> yeah, who's great. Um, you know, because he's still he's still going to shows. I yeah. think. Um, and you know, still kind of in tune with that kind of underground Very much scene. So. Um, and and you know, obviously has like a certain taste. You know, specific taste. Mm-hmm. And that site still has. I mean, it's wildly successful, but also has an independent. Uh, element to it yeah even Um, though i don't think it's independent right i don't know exactly what's going on with them in terms of like their business oh yeah but um yeah they might be affiliated with something larger but it doesn't feel that way at least yeah you know it's not like everything is mega branded and stuff it doesn't feel that. maybe it's not actually because when i've done ads with brooklyn v and i've 
correspondent with Dave, Dave okay, directly. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's like if it was bigger, then he'd probably he probably wouldn't be still doing the. That's ads. true. That's true. <laughs> the ad sales. Yeah, that's true. But it just and but you know like. And yeah, like they would probably have more than one staff writer, said Bill Paris. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think they have a couple others now, but yeah, it's still a very small group. I guess it's surprising. And, you know, if he is still independent, maybe like <laughs> kudos to Dave. Yes. Well, I think regardless if he is or isn't, like uh, the site has been, you know, going strong for so long, it, it, you know, it, while other blogs have died and are, you know. Yeah. And kind of lost their like initial integrity. Yeah. You know. So kudos to Brooklyn Vegan for keeping it going. And yeah, it's exciting. Yay, go BV. (laughs) (laughs) So one of our repeat skips is going to be kind of a quintessential album from that time frame. Uh, And he's still kicking and doing stuff is uh, Bright Eyes slash Conor Oberst and the the Lifted album, Mm. um, which was kind of a breakthrough. Um, Yeah, this is kind of, I feel like... um, when I first heard about Bright Eyes, I it was kind of fascinating to me because that first single off of the Lifted album, um, it uh, "Lover I Don't Have to Love," which mm-hmm. is my repeat, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't. It had kind of like a a dancey, I don't know, like a more upbeat kind mm-hmm. of vibe to it, and mm-hmm. it wasn't like it was dark, but it wasn't like wasn't like the kind of stereotypical, I don't know. I love that emo. song too. Yeah. yeah, and I do feel like it doesn't necessarily fall into the emo bubble. But um, yeah, he was really, I think also he benefited from being good looking. Um, yeah. But also he also bared his soul on these songs and uh, a lot of people related. And, um, you know, he's done some interesting things with his career over the last 15 or so years. Um, but you know, he brought a lot of light to Saddle Creek Records, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I believe his his brother was at some point involved with. His brothers, like, helped finance his, like, music career and, okay. like, paying for, like, album production. And then I think that they're still maybe involved in Saddle Creek just as, like, you know, on a, on a higher level. But okay. Like, um, but, yeah, like, I think they started, or at least one of his brothers started it it kind of really blew up the whole omaha yeah exactly i mean who thought of omaha but like as like a scene but there was a definite scene there and you know saddle creek is home to um a friend of mine and one of my favorite acts to this day the minor birds uh Mm. so it's laura uh, burren who was in georgie james with q and not you back going back to emo (laughs) land and dc circles in the early 2000s um and i adore her and she's criminally underrated but she's on saddle creek and she's released all of her albums through saddle creek um so yeah uh but i also agree with you i think lover i don't have to love is probably one of the stronger tracks i also like the other single from the album bowl of oranges Mm -hmm. um but i do think there are moments on this album where connor oberst kind of goes all over the place or he's kind of like talking and not singing Mm -hmm. or there's like a lot of random stuff going on and for me um probably one of the ones i would skip is uh let's not shit ourselves (laughs) (laughs) um but honestly looking back on this album there are only a handful of tracks that i think are quality Mm -hmm. and the other there's quite a few that i would 
throwaway, honestly. I feel like perhaps later on, he released an album um, that had Amy Lou Harris on it a couple years later. Yeah. It's a really pretty album. Um, he's done some stuff through the years that I think is noteworthy, but I don't see Connor slash Bright Eyes as a album artist personally. Um, I think he has moments. Right. Um, and I think that also holds true for me with this album. There are just a few key moments. Was like Bright Eyes the band or do, was it kind of like Dashboard where it was like a... I, I mean, I never really knew the answer to that, but I think Bright Eyes was his pseudonym. Yeah. Um, but wh- whenever I saw Connor, it was always with a band. So maybe Bright Eyes was the band. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it, it originally was his way of not identifying as himself. Yeah. 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 And then it kind of took its own. Um, but then, you know, like people just really called, you know, it was like interchangeable mm-hmm. all the time. Connor or Bright Eyes. Yeah. You know? and, and it's what's interesting is he released albums as Bright Eyes, then as Connor, then as Bright Eyes. Yeah. Then he had Desi- Desiparacitos. Oh, <laughs> right? was, was that early on? I don't. I think it was kind of. I, it was either concurrent or like right after Bright Eyes. Okay. Kind of got big. Then he okay. had like this offshoot that. Maybe they already existed or something, but was getting attention because he was getting attention. Got it. Okay. And um, and they were a little bit more metally mm-hmm. in their sound. I um, vaguely recall this. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know that I could really pick a skip because uh, mm-hmm. I I think I only liked that one song. So yeah, I think most of this is is kind of skippable, honestly. Yeah. In yeah. retrospect, but uh, at the time I was in really into it. And I think with a lot of these albums that we repeat and skip, um, they had meaning to us at some point. But as we get older and as we revisit them, like like yeah. when, when we looked back on Green Day's Dookie, it was mostly unlistenable. Yeah. But yeah. at the time, it was very exciting for me in 1994. Yeah. And this one, too, in like whatever it was, a 102. You know? I think it's because like our feelings have matured. So, yeah. Like we don't feel that way anymore like like things are so when you're younger things feel so much more mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it doesn't matter what it is yeah just feels so much more like like tremendous mm-hmm. and like big and like the um but then you get older and you look back and you're like why was i so melodramatic like, exactly why did, why did i have all those emotions exactly like, yeah like so they don't necessarily stand up up to the test of time mm-hmm. but um Maybe if someone covered it in a different way, possibly. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, as they were recorded, um, I don't know that it really kind of... At least, like, I can't really relate to it as much. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, I guess the other album, you know, we already talked about Dashboard Confessional, but mm-hmm. the places you've come to fear the most, mm-hmm. you know. This was his breakthrough moment Mm -hmm. uh, because I feel like Screaming Infidelities was on MTV or at least MTV 2 at the time all the time yeah Um, and then yes slowly but surely he became like I was saying earlier like the face of it all yeah Um, and he had those and the look and the look yeah (laughs) no totally the look the gelled hair hair. yeah yeah Yeah. you know he's just so serious yeah I think that's like the other thing is like these artists they don't necessarily have like a sense of humor yeah um about themselves or their music they're just everything is so full-on like they're feeling it and this album i think maybe it was like quintessential emo album i guess Mm -hmm. but 
I just didn't think that much really stood the test of time. I mean, like I we listened to Screaming Infidelities, mm-hmm. and the, another speaking of another oh artist and gosh. album with terrible lyrics. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, even in the chorus, your hair is everywhere. Your hair is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Screaming Infidelities. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, like uh, it was it was a bit much. Yeah. I think. That, that's just how I feel. Like that, I didn't like uh, uh, that Screaming Infidelity song, The Spitter Pill. I thought it was a little bit much. I wouldn't want to listen to that. Yeah. But um, it was hard for me to pick one that I liked, actually. Because mm-hmm. um, I just don't think, like, my mind, like, I'm just not in that mindset. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever was mm-hmm. with Dashboard. Um, you know, I think I just recognized that they were, like, you know, bringing up this genre mm-hmm. for me uh I, you know i think a lot of this is just it's kind of laughable actually when i look back and think back to a time when i would go to every local dashboard show in a two or three year span mm. and sing along and try and be in the front and i remember meeting him once and i was super excited and nervous but now yeah. it's like oh my god i actually saw he was doing a, a run of shows or they i should say um couple months back and he was doing the whole thing also where it's like pay extra for the meet and greet and go to the sound check and i'm like this would be hilarious but no wow yeah but for a couple hundred dollars you could do that as well yeah but like Like i was saying what his crowd is like now is it all the people like also that's a good question or is it like a new kind of younger crowd still I wonder. I really wonder because at the time in the early 2000s it was a very young crowd. Everyone was pretty much high school college aged and I don't know if people have grown with his music necessarily. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like Cuz I think a lot of people I would assume are in the same boat I am where it's kind of n- just not something I'm into anymore. Yeah, you're you know like I used I know I liked it but it just doesn't feel that way. Now, yeah. You know. But you know, he's an artist and I respect him as an artist, but I just don't relate to it no. anymore. I do recall one of the songs I would sing along to at the top of my lungs when I would see him was The Best Deceptions mm-hmm. on this album. I feel like a lot of these songs on the album and when we were re-listening to it, we kind of sensed this also. Like They have such, it's so formulaic because it starts off kind of pretty and he's setting the tone and then it goes into like the either the screamy chorus or the screamy I don't know. Yeah. Post whatever. Like every song. Yeah. Every single song. <laughs> we were trying to find one that did. <laughs> yeah. I guess at the time I didn't realize it, like it was, you know, yeah. but that's the way he built up the track yeah. all the time. And I think that maybe, I don't know, like were other artists before him kind of like that too? Or did he really kind of launch this like weird formula into like, I don't know if he originated it, but I always associate it with him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's still going. So, you know, there there are people out there that are listening. And like I was saying earlier, he, he did a stadium tour like a few years back. So, yeah, that's I a long career. Yeah, that's a long career. But I do not know who the fan base is now. I'd be very interested to look. I know. I should look at like his Facebook group and just kind of see who the people are. Like just that's by true. their faces. <laughs> <you know? laughs> see who's posting on his wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So that was our emo episode, episode eight. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what to say it was, it was a journey <laughs> it was a journey um stay tuned for episode nine um and thanks again for listening to mixtape memories we'll see you next time see you next time bye bye
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.